welcome to the Black and White Podcast. I'm Denise Pass, and I have a special guest on the show today. Arlene Pellicane loves to encourage women and strengthen families through her writing and speaking. She is a speaker and the author of Parents Rising, Calm, Cool, and Connected, 31 Days to a Happy Husband, 31 Days to Becoming a Happy Wife, 31 Days to Becoming a Happy Mom, 31 Days to a Younger You, in the book we are discussing today, Growing Up Social, Raising Relational Kids in a Screen-Driven World. Well, you know, Arlene, I think you need to do next 31 days to get your kids off the screen. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> she formerly served as the associate producer for Turning Point Television with Dr. David Jeremiah and is also a writer with Proverbs 31 Ministries. Arlene lives in Southern California with her husband, James, and their three children. Welcome, Arlene. Thanks so much for having me, Denise. Oh, it is my pleasure. So Arlene, my husband grew up with Gary Chapman as his pastor at Calvary Baptist in Clemens, North Carolina. What a small world, huh? That is awesome. I cannot think of a nicer pastor to have than Dr. Gary Chapman. <laughs> That's great. Yes. Well, my husband has fond memories because he grew up in one denomination, but didn't really know the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then he ended up being saved, and that was at Gary Chapman's church. So that's just kind of neat how that comes full circle. That's very special. So the scripture for this episode is taken from Proverbs 22, 6, the New International Version. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. As a parent of five children, this verse has been a life verse in my parenting years. Inspire me to be faithful to guard my children's hearts, but also to prepare them to live in the world and not be of it. I remember people mocking me when I would share how this verse encouraged me as a parent. They did not like the word train that is in that verse, but our flesh needs training. Here we are, parents who have deceitful hearts, raising children with hearts that are also deceitful beyond cure, and this is not an easy task. So Arlene, you had me on the introduction to your book, Taking Back Your Home. You share about the pressure parents can feel to keep boundaries for their children concerning the amount of screen time they have. Why is this significant that parents monitor screen time and what are some ways that you recommend they do that? You know, we have a dog, he's two years old, he's a golden doodle. And if we let him into the huge Costco bag of food, like, and just gave him free reign, I think he'd eat himself sick. <laughs> so we have a friend who, whose dog did that. And they literally had, he ate like five pounds of dog food in one sitting. And the same thing is true with screens that for us as parents, if we just say, you know, I don't think any of us as parents think, oh, you know what, let me have my child be on screens eight hours a day, you know, which is kind of the average. I don't think any of us set out for that. We don't think, oh, let's have our teenager be on screens nine hours or more a day. That would really be healthy and great for their emotion. None of us go, you know, we don't want that, but we slide into that. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it is so important for parents to say, okay, wait a minute, my child, I can't expect my child, whether your child's five, nine, or 15, to self-regulate and say, you know what? I've been playing this video game for 30 minutes and even though I really want to keep playing, I should stop. You know, there's not really a child who can do that, nor should they be expected to do that. And that's why the parent then needs to come in and say, 
here are the rules, here are the guidelines. And that is so important because addiction obviously is a huge concern for so many people. But beyond that, it's what is your child missing? If your child is spending two hours a day watching TV and playing video games, which maybe compared to the neighbors doesn't seem that much, but if they're spending two hours a day, what could have they been doing in those two hours? Maybe they could have been learning an instrument or playing, you know, soccer or doing something active or reading a really good book, you know. So you just as parents have to realize that this whole device thing, this is stacked against you. These devices aren't like these nice little things. They are addictive by nature. When your child plays a video game, you need to realize there are a thousand people on the other side of that screen who have programmed that video game, Fortnite, to be as addictive as possible, to have the psychology, like, I can't stop, you know, to do the brain chemistry of, this brings me so much pleasure. There's nothing else in my life that could compare to this video game. So we as parents have to realize this is not a fair fight and we need to have knowledge, but not only knowledge, we've got to be the guardrails in our kids' lives. So it's very important to take back your home. Amen. You know, as you were talking, this phrase just popped in my mind, idle time leads to idle time. Yes. I think, you know, as, as our children, and even though, you know, obviously there's time for rest, but it's not really rest. When you're yeah. in front of a screen and, and, you know, that can become just idle time. Mm-hmm. And so we're called to guard their hearts and their time. I love that you mentioned in your book, the peer pressure parents feel. I remember when the Lord revealed this to me as well, other parents could not understand why we did not play video games or do sleepovers or watch certain movies when our children were younger. And I'll be honest, it was hard. And the need to take back our home is a constant process. You know, we're never done with that. It's constantly things just drift that way. I've had several moments where God called me to prune the worldly influence that would creep into our home through TV or the internet, people. It's the slow fade and our flesh is prone to wander. And I also want to just add, you know, a lot of times we can blame other influences, but we have that own influence in our own hearts (laughs) Mm -hmm. that we also have to kind of say, wait a minute, something snuck in here. So, you know, I have a confession. My oldest kids, my four oldest kids, all have smartphones now. They are 18, 20, 22, and 24, and got their phones when they were almost adults, driving and still in the home. Now, those are, pretty, those are pretty good ages, Denise. I'm sure you have some listeners who their confession is like, oh, <laughs> mine's a little different than hers. <laughs> well, it's just that, you know, you guarded. I carefully guarded when they were younger. And, you know, it was so difficult to do that. But now they have it. And there was a, a brief time period where I had their passwords and I was teaching them how to handle these devices. And I had boundaries like, you know, their passwords and making them keep the phones on the counter at night. But now they have to battle their flesh and make sure they are not having too much screen time. You know, and I, even like at Thanksgiving, you know, we had an incredible time, you know, sharing testimonies. But there were moments where I'm like, uh, we have something at the table here, all these phones. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, saying, nope, we're not going to do that. But how can we equip kids as they get older to exercise self-control and be aware of addictive behaviors with gadgets? 
we can educate our kids like to what is normal. So for instance, as your kids are growing up, and it's easier to do this the younger your kids are, but it can still be done if you have teenagers, but you're teaching them in your home like what's normal. So if it's normal mm -hmm. to be around the dinner table and everybody's talking and laughing and you're listening to each other and there are no screens, you know, the TV's not on, phones aren't in the hand, you know, if the phone goes off, you don't just die for it and you just say, hey, you know, no big deal. We'll just check it after dinner. So if that's what your child and your teenager thinks is normal, then when they grow up and they're, you know, in their 20s and they're having dinner with their friends and their friends are on the phone all the time, they're going to be like, that's weird. <laughs> so we are educating. I think the best thing we can do is, is show our kids, not necessarily lecture our kids, you know, et cetera, et cetera, but show them this is what real relationship, this is what healthy interaction looks like. And God willing, when they walk out of your home, they'll want to replicate that and they'll seek friends who have those same kind of behaviors. And they'll be the old souls at, you know, 25 years old or something. They'll be like, oh, mom, dad, I can't believe it. My friends, like, they're just on the phone all the time. And you'll be like, yes. see what I mean? So it is, I think, pointing out things to your kids. For instance, we had a play date with a child that was from out of town. They were probably, you know, eight years old. And the entire time our family members are friends, but we had never met this boy before. So it was kind of our first time to welcome him in our home. We we're all excited. And my kids were all excited to play with him, but he had brought his iPad. So the whole time they're like, let's go do this. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. And he just sat there and <laughs> played with his iPad. And so sometimes my kids would join him. They didn't have an iPad, but they join him. So we wouldn't be by himself. And then they'd invite him, but he just didn't do anything. So afterwards we talked to them about it saying, okay, now what was that like? And they're like, that was really lame that he just sat there the whole time for three hours and didn't get up and do anything with us. And so you can show examples of, okay, this is what this looks like if you are overly connected to your screens. And hey, here's what this looks like, what healthy interaction looks like, you know. And as your kids grow older, that's what will be normal. That's what they will be trained by, as we talked about training earlier, and that will help them. And then giving them measures like questions when they're in college, you know, are you getting eight hours of sleep? Probably not because they're studying, but how many of those hours are because you were up till three or four in the morning playing video games, you know, so you can ask, talk to them about this before they go to college that, hey, make sure that you're as much as you can, that you're getting enough sleep. How are your grades doing? Are you showing up to work? Are you falling asleep in class? Like have these kinds of questions so they can start to gauge themselves on if they are using mm. gadgets too much. Mm, that's good. And you know, I like that you say you're teaching them what normal is. Yeah. Because we feel so abnormal, don't we? In this, I mean, our citizenship is in heaven and we're trying to live out a life that pleases God in a godless culture, you know? Ab abnormal is so good because right now normal is, okay, everybody gets home and we're playing video games and we're watching Netflix and we're staying up way too late and we're texting people at two o'clock in the morning. Like this is not good for a junior high or high school student, you know? And so no. these are not good normal. So if your family feels abnormal and you feel like the dinosaur in the room, you will reign. <laughs> you will be just fine. Well, you know, too, like the peer pressure we're talking about with parents, I know for years raising my children, I felt like you know people would actually say to me, your kids are going to be social, like, you know, nightmares when they get older, they're not going to know how to socialize. And I just used to be so concerned. And so now I'm at that point 
where they're coming back to me and saying, thank you, mom. That's awesome. You know, and it's so amazing because for them to be able to say, wow, we went to this person's house for the weekend. It's not like they're trying to, you know, throw anyone underneath the bus or anything, but it's, it's a different culture. Yeah. And, you know, we're not perfect either, but you know, they, they saw this passion to have our home be a refuge. And that was something that they knew growing up. So I like your question in the book, is technology drawing your family closer or apart? I've asked a similar question of my kids. What has been the fruit of screen time in their lives? I think it is hard to find and draw the line. No one's flesh wants to cooperate. How do you recommend getting buy-in from your kids? I love that question that you're asking what has been the fruit of screen time in your lives. I think the buy-in comes when you create fun in your family from the time that your Mm. kids are very young that has nothing to do with screens so that they don't associate that every fun thing in my life is done on a screen. You know, anytime that I'm so happy, it's because I'm playing a video game or it's because I'm laughing at this YouTube video or whatever but that even if your kids are teenagers, that you can do crazy activities with them so that they realize, oh, you know what? I don't have to be on screens all the time. Like I actually feel a lot better when I'm not on screens all the time. And perhaps the buy-in could be a challenge like for your teenagers that you could say, okay, you know, I read this, there was a, a research report that came out a few months ago saying that they had teenagers Uh, only use social media for half an hour a day. Now, these were teenagers that were on it a whole lot more. And they were all teenagers uh, surveyed who said they were depressed. And so the teenagers who only went on 10 minutes on Instagram, 10 minutes on Snapchat, 10 minutes on Facebook, et cetera, only 30 minutes a day, they reported a 50% boost that they felt that much better. So there was a very strong increase like, wow, we weren't as depressed when we were only on a half an hour. Now, I know some of you are like, half an hour, that's a lot. But if your kids are on hours, that's you know a good sign. So to give your children, if you find like, wow, they're watching video games so much, or they're always watching TV, or they are you know, on social media, they're just crazed about it, give them a challenge. You know, whether it's like, if you can go all weekend, without turning on any device. You know, for some kids, this is going to be like, are you kidding me? You know, I've had kids raise their hands. Can you do this? You know, then we will have this thing that you do, whether it's, you know, if, if, if you know this is impossible, then it might need to be a big thing. (laughs) (laughs) Do some excursion to a city two hours away and you guys are going to, you know, go skiing or you guys are going to go do something because they accomplished this. So I think that buy-in from your kids, it's, it's a fun way to challenge them. Like, okay, we're going to have screen-free Tuesday, or we are going to not have a meal times. We're going to do that with no screens. And then give them these challenges to make sure they can do it. And then you can pit them against each other, right? <laughs> so we have a little sibling <laughs> rivalry, like, I did it, you couldn't do it, you know. So just be creative with how can you make sure that technology technology is bringing you closer together because it can, but in a lot of times it's just us using our own devices all under the same roof, but nobody's talking to each other anymore. So that's when you have to be like, okay, wait a minute from, and, and the thing is with the buy-in from the kids, this is key is you have to have the buy-in from the adults because the adults can say, this is what we expect from you. And then the kids look at you and your head's down in your phone the whole time because you're doing legitimate work you know, at seven o'clock at night. So it's really important that we buy in first. And I think that helps the kids buy in. 
Yes. You know, it's funny you're talking about uh, manipulating sibling rivalry (laughs) (laughs) for a good cause. Yeah, exactly. I work uh, quite a bit in front of my computer. And so I've seen even by doing that, there can be a culture where my kids feel like, oh, okay, mom's in front of the screen, so I can be too. And where, like you were just saying, working at seven at night, you know, I have to make sure that I step away, even if I'm feeling deadlines and things like that, because it it kind of becomes part of the culture. Um, So I've had times where I took cell phones from my children. You know, again, they got their phones between 16 and 18 when they had to have them. Um, And all of them at one time or another, you know, it was like, oh, this is getting so obsessive. And it's so hard. It's so easy as a parent just to say, you know, whatever, it's just too difficult to manage. But no, we can't do that. Uh, And they were, you know, they thought it was hard that I set that boundary. It was hard for them and me. But they thanked me later. And I always was struck by that. You know, they knew they needed a break. So the addictive tendency is important because it can be and have a major impact on the next generation's ability to be present in social situations. And it is so hard today with all the social media and the constant pull. There's the distraction component. There's also a danger component that is significant. Strangers can connect with our children with a click of a mouse nowadays. And this gives stranger danger new meaning. Strangers can reach into our homes now and the social factor of making it difficult to prevent a negative influence on our children is increasingly difficult too. Arlene, what do you recommend to protect children from either too much time or from specific content or people? Mm -hmm. I would have your computers in central areas. So no computers in the bedrooms. And even when your kids are in high school, that you would tell them. So if you have young kids, you can tell them, you know, when you grow up and you're in high school, you're not going to have a TV or a phone or an iPad in your room. So they kind of grow up knowing like, oh, that's not going to happen. Because so much of what happens behind closed doors Mm -hmm. at night when you're asleep, that's when you get a lot of problems. Nobody's texting them, hey, are you going to be at Bible study? You know, oh, (laughs) great. Nobody's doing that. And so (laughs) something very protective is simply collecting phones at night, even though your children aren't going to be like, oh, great. Mom, dad, you're so responsible. I'm happy to give you no. They're going to be like, you are the craziest person in the whole world. And how dare you take my phone away from me? There is no way I'm handing it over. And you can be like, well, I happen to pay for that phone. And even if they pay for that phone, I pay for the room that you sleep in. So you will hand over the phone. So you've just got to be really stubborn. And know that your kids will not thank you now, but as you've talked about, they will thank you later. And so one way to protect them is screens out of the bedrooms, so Mm -hmm. they are not doing stuff at night, and then screens in a central location in the house so that at least you can be aware of what's going on, and then teaching them be friends with people that you know in real life, and really teach them that, hey, if you don't know this person then maybe this is a 40-year-old person disguising themselves as a 12-year-old. <laughs> Just kind of let right. them know that <laughs> if you don't know this person in real life, you really have no idea who they are. And I think that when kids know that, it will keep them, help them to be wiser if they, to realize that. But I think that's key. Out of the bedroom, teach them only to talk to people that they know and not to put private information like an address, like where they are, where they live, all those kinds of things, not to post that kind of stuff. 
Really good counsel. And I think this will encourage people listening today. I also think, you know, uh, like-minded people, you know, my kids would always be like, oh, they have the same rule we do. (laughs) They are out there. (laughs) Yes, they are. You know, as a parent, I can, I can say that I felt so helicopterish and intrusive, but I have this accountability to God that grabs my heart. In Genesis 18, verse 19, God tells why he chose Abraham. I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then the Lord will give to Abraham what he promised him. And Malachi 2.15 also says that God was seeking godly offspring. This has been something that has been such a reminder to me through all my parenting years, that God's word has promises And God wants to use parents to help shape the next generation. We dare not shrink back because it's hard. You know, or we have pressure. We are on a mission. And Arlene, I love how you, in your book, you discuss this A-plus method, which outlines five A-plus skills that our children need to develop in order to succeed in life and love and basically achieve this objective of godly offspring. Can you tell us a little bit about the A-plus method? When we think of A+, plus, we usually think of grades in school, but in this book co-authored by Dr. Gary Chapman and myself, we talk about the emotional A+, plus. so it's the A+, plus skill of affection. Can your child give and receive love? Will they be able to look someone in the eye and say, I love you, versus like, emoji, happy face, <laughs> that's all they can do. The second A+, plus is appreciation. Is your child grateful or is your child entitled? The third one is anger management. All of us have anger. How do we manage it? How does your child manage it? The fourth is apology, the skill of apology, being able to say, I'm sorry, I did the wrong thing versus, okay, let's just unfriend you because it got awkward, you know, to be able to apologize. And the last A is attention. Can your child pay attention? Can they sit through school? Can they sit in church? Do they know how to listen? You know, and that's a huge one in the screen-driven world because everything's so instant that if it doesn't, if it doesn't have bells and whistles, kids tend to tune out. And so one skill that every child needs really badly is the skill of paying attention. Yes. Well, and I feel like almost everyone today is ADHD because it's constant multi-sensory overstimulation. Yes. You know, uh, and it's funny you talk about gratitude. Uh, my 18-year-old called me the other day and said, Mom, thank you for that gratitude journal. You know, she called herself a realist before, which meant somewhat sarcastic, <laughs> <laughs> but not quite pessimistic. Yeah. And she said, Mom, just every day, it's been changing my heart. Like, Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, you know, and I think it's just that we realize all of us have a natural bent you know, toward a fleshly response to things. And that's why we need to even train our own souls and that we need to be diligent in these matters because, you know, otherwise the culture takes over and we don't want that. So, you know, you also mentioned in your book, the impact screen time has on our behavior, our brain, our security and parental authority, among other variables. How can we make our children or young adult children aware of this impact? And what do you feel is the ultimate solution for taming the screen or taming our flesh. Are there key ways of communicating this to our children that they can get? One thing you can do with your kids is let them know technology is super easy to learn. So if they have any fear like, oh, I'm going to get left behind because I don't have this, you know, whatever device, an iPad, a phone, whatever, you can tell them, and they know this, like you're going to be able to learn that really quickly. 
But in order to succeed in life, you're going to be able to have to read really well. You're going to have to be a good thinker. You're going to need to be a problem solver. You need to be empathetic to care about people. And that stuff, my dearest child, that there is no app for. So, so we're going to work on these things together. Give them, show them that their life will be better off if they cannot be addicted to screens so that they own that and they taste and see like, oh, I'm so much more happier and I have skills that my friends don't have because they've spent all this time gaming or you know, social media and I did something else. So kind of giving them that goal, their own goals to, to set and to look at. And of course, the, you know, in terms of impact, you can tell kids and as they get older, they'll be like, oh, really? You know, that a brain on Minecraft, something like Minecraft for 15 hours a week, for instance, you know, has been shown that imaging looks just like a brain on cocaine. And so to let your kids know, you know what, there's a reason why all your friends talk about certain video games. It's because they're very addictive. And so for the kids to understand this, and if they don't believe it, then you can say, well, then you know what? Prove it to me. Let's go two weeks without you touching it and see how you feel. And then let them realize like, wow, that was really hard for me, mom, you know, and let them see that, okay, if this goes on in your life, you may be, and you can find, you know, examples of this. I'm sure online you could, you could look for these kinds of things. There's a rehab place called Restart in Washington where kids get checked in because they are so addicted to video games that they can't function in real life. And, you know, is that going to be every kid? No, but four in 10 kids will have an addiction to video games. And with such a high probability, you know, we wouldn't say, oh, let's give our kids, you know, beer, even though just a few of them will become alcoholics. Like that's not how we think about other substances, but with screen time we do. So a lot of it is educating ourselves and also our kids. Wow. I, you know, and I will provide those links. If you can also send those to me, I will put them on the podcast episode so people can look those up if they need those as a resource. My youngest child right now is my challenge. You know, I adopted him from Russia and he's 14 and he is so sweet, but he's also very swift at going around my boundaries. (laughs) And so I've got filters on computers and I've got all these and every one of his friends has these devices he doesn't have. And so yeah. these are such great principles that you've laid out for us. So this is a very needed book. And I just thank the Lord that you wrote it. Do you have any parting thoughts for our listeners? I would just say it's never too late. So don't listen to this and be like, oh no, it's what am I going to do? You know, and start with small steps. Don't think like, okay, I'm going to go do 10 things because it's, it's not going to happen and then you'll feel terrible. So just pick one thing like, you know what, we're going to do a screen-free mealtime. That's what we're going to do and do that. Or, you know what, I'm going to start collecting the phone every night from my teenager and just do that. So just pick one thing that will improve your situation and work on that. And that's it. And then once that becomes super normal in your home and don't give up on it, then pick your next thing. So just start small and be very consistent and you'll start seeing really good changes. So good. As we're faithful in the small things, we can be faithful in the bigger things. And, you know, for the record, my 24-year-old who lives at home now, and she's uh, actually in college as well, her phone stays on the counter at night. And, you know, (laughs) and it's, she's 24, but what it is, is one boundary doesn't fit all. Some kids can handle some things better, but there's still wisdom. 
you know, and what is wisdom in this? Well, thank you again so much. The raw truth is that parents are held accountable for how they parent their children, but children are held accountable for their own actions as well. The radical grace is that even when we make mistakes as parents, God's grace covers us and can redeem any situation. It is not too late. And the real hope is that our diligence as parents will reap rewards according to the promises in God's word. You've been listening to the Black and White Podcast, where we filter life through the Bible and live life in the freedom of truth. 